Well, good morning. Greetings from Los Angeles. Uh, I did not bring the cold. <laughs> I haven't checked the weather out, but I'm confident it's 75 and sunny in Los Angeles today. When I walked out of the house, I took my jacket. I was planning on not preaching with a jacket on this morning, but when I stepped outside, I changed my mind. Thank you for having me this morning. Uh, it, is, it is such an honor and a privilege um, and a joy to be here um, I love your church. You are literally changing the world from Albany, Georgia, and uh, I love being here. You are some of the most kind, generous, uh, gracious, hospitable people on the planet. You are, and uh, it's a real privilege for me and my family to be here. Also, I want to say how much I love your pastor. Um, 28 years he's been leading this congregation and this fellowship, and um, I've been in a lot of places and a lot of churches, and I want to say to you this morning, you are blessed, and you are a blessed church because of Michael Catt. And so, Pastor, thank you for allowing me to be in your pulpit this morning. Well, Happy New Year. I hope the year started off well for you. If I sound like a man with uh, three kids and a wife who've had the flu this week, it's because I have, and uh, I think it's setting in on me this morning, but I'm going to give it my best shot today. I hope the new year has started off well for you. Um, I'm excited about the change of seasons. I'm excited about a new year. I love it when January 1st rolls around every single year because to me it represents a fresh start, represents a new beginning. Whatever happened last year, is in the past, and I can start over fresh again today. This morning, I want to talk to you about an idea, the idea that it's familiar to all of us, and one of the reasons why I love living in Los Angeles, the city where I come from. I want to talk to you this morning about this idea of hope. What are you hoping for in this new year? What are your plans? What are your dreams? What are your expectations for a brand new year? One of the reasons why I love living in Los Angeles is because I'm surrounded by people. It's just like Albany as well. I'm surrounded by people who, uh, who are anticipating that the future is going to be better than the past. I think that's one of the reasons why so many people move to a city like Los Angeles. They anticipate that there's going to be better opportunities for their career. They anticipate that there's going to be better opportunities for their romance, for, for their finances. And so I love living in a city where people are anticipating that the future is going to be better than the past. I'm confident that Albany is no different. And you understand those feelings, and feelings of anticipation, expectation, whatever you're hoping for this year, there's probably a little bit of tension. You're like, I'm hoping for something, but I'm not sure that it's going to come to fruition. We call those feelings hope. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It's vital to a healthy human existence, but it's also a really important concept in Scripture. In Ruth chapter 1, we see a woman who's hoping for a husband. Anybody hoping for a husband this morning? In Proverbs chapter 19, we see a man who's hoping that his son's going to turn out right. Um, In Job chapter 7, we see a man who's just generally speaking about his general state of hopelessness. When we get to the New Testament, we see Paul who frequently mentions this idea of hope. And he says, I hope to come visit those churches and those people to whom I'm writing letters to. Hope is a concept in Scripture that we see all throughout 
from beginning to end. Now, I know what kind of church you are. We are that kind of church. I know you like to take a passage of Scripture and exposit that passage of Scripture every single morning. I do that 99% of the time in my church too, but I'm going to do it a little bit different today, Pastor, if that's okay. My text is actually Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to go from 1 to 16 today. It's actually the genealogy of Jesus, but I'm not going to read it today until the very end of this message. And the reason why I'm not going to read it is because I thought if I preached the genealogy genealogy of Jesus, you'd already be thinking about lunch right now, all right? So I'm going to exposit Matthew chapter 1 for you, but I'm going to do it in a roundabout way. I'm going to take a systematic approach to Scripture and help us understand what hope really means from a biblical perspective. And then we're going to round it out. We're going to come to Matthew chapter 1 and see why we can have hope today. Would you just do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads right now? I'm going to pray for us just, just for the next few minutes together that God would speak clearly and evidently to us. Jesus, thank you for the privilege of life today. God, we don't take this day for granted because we know, God, we're not promised tomorrow. And this day has never happened before. God, it will never happen again. So God, may we not take this moment for granted. May our ears be open, our eyes see clearly, God, our hands and our feet be willing to move in the direction that you may speak to us about this idea of hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to frame this morning's topic, this idea of hope, around the definition, if you will allow me. It comes from a friend of mine, one of my favorite pastors on the planet, and he describes hope from the biblical perspective as this. Hope from the Christian perspective is the anticipation of future blessings and the confidence that the best is yet to come. Now, there's a lot of talk in our culture about the best is yet to come, and this is the best year yet, and there may be all kinds of thoughts around that. And before you think that I've jumped off the theological train this morning, I want you to give me some time, and I want to dive into why the Scripture can promise us that there are future blessings and the best is yet to come. But based on that definition, the, the best is yet to come, we understand that hope means that the best is not behind me. That actually, the best is in front of me if we understand Scripture properly. But based on that definition, I'm confident this morning that there are people in Albany, I'm confident there are people in this auditorium this morning that are feeling an overwhelming sense of hopelessness, right? Some of you are wondering, can I ever be happy again? Maybe you've had a change in your job. You've had a change in your career, in your finances, in your health, and it all just seems final. Maybe you're wondering, maybe this is the first Christmas and New Year you've spent where, where you're, you, you've, maybe you've gone through a divorce, a relational difficulty in your life, and this is the first Christmas and New Year where things just look different in your life. And you wonder, is there anything to look forward to? I'm confident there are people in this auditorium this morning that are asking that question. Are the best parts of my life behind me? I had all this anticipation when I was in my kid years and in my 20s. I had all of this anticipation about what life was going to be like. All of my hopes and all of my dreams. All of my family goals. All of my parenting goals. And it all just seems so different. It feels like a faded dream. It feels like a dull dream. And then we add on top of it, we look around our country. And we read everybody else's Facebook page around us because none of us post this kind of stuff. And we, we consider the events that are happening in our world. And we wonder, can there be unity? Can there be harmony? 
Can there be justice? Can we hope for these things? Well, this morning, the scripture talks about this idea of hope. In the Old Testament, we have this idea of hope that's mentioned no less than um, in 10 different ways with 10 different words, but I just want to focus on two just for a moment, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament. But there are two verbs in the Old Testament that give us this idea of hope, and the first verb in the Old Testament that I want to mention to you this morning is the verb yahal. Both of these verbs I'm going to mention to you mean the same thing. They mean to wait for. The second verb has a little different nuance to it, but yahal means to wait for. Psalm chapter 31 says, be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who hope in the Lord. Psalm chapter 33 says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his loving kindness. Yahal means to wait for. It's one of the verbs that we see in the Old Testament that describes this idea of hope. The second verb is kawah. Kawa is associated with a noun that means a cord. When we put these two together, we have the idea of a cord that is, that is stretched taut, it's stretched tight. And when a cord is stretched tight, there is this idea of tension. And so when we see kawa in the Old Testament, we have this idea of hope being a, a, um, a feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. And some of you can say, that's where I am today. I'm hoping for something this year, but there's so much tension. I'm hoping for my finances. I'm hoping for my relational difficulties to work themselves out. I'm hoping for my career, but there's so much tension and expectation in this process as I'm waiting. The prophet Jeremiah said that the farmers waited for the rain that only the Lord could provide. There was tension. There was, there was this challenge, this expectation that we cannot water the earth. We have to wait for God to water the earth. Jeremiah chapter 14, are there any idols among the nations who can give rain? Or can the heavens grant showers? It is not, is it not you, O Lord? Therefore we hope in you, for you are the one who has done all these things. Prophet Isaiah also talks about people who are weary, who are tired. Have you walked into January 2018 and you're weary and you're tired this morning? The scripture says you can have hope. Those who are weary and those who are tired, they wait for God. And listen what the scripture says. He will renew their strength. Isaiah 40. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will <clears throat> mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become weary. So let's just take this systematic approach to the Old Testament and summarize what we're understanding to be the idea of hope in the Old Testament. In biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting and expectation. But what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Well, the scripture gives us this idea that in, in the Old Testament uh, period of the prophets, in the Old Testament period of prophets, they were, the nation of Israel was in this cycle of self-destruction over and round and round and round again. And the prophet Isaiah said, in this moment, the Lord is hiding his face from Israel. And so this is what Isaiah was waiting for. Isaiah said, so I will wait for the Lord. The only hope Isaiah had during that time during that dark period in Israel's history, was the Lord himself. 
we see the same notion all over the book of Psalms. I counted in preparation for this marriage, uh, marriage, uh, this message, uh, no less than 20 times in the book of Psalms, this idea of the use of hope. In every case in the book of Psalms, what people were waiting for was God himself. Listen to me, Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Psalm chapter 130, verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman in the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. So when we understand biblical hope, we understand that it's based on a person which makes it radically different than the idea of optimism. See, here's the thing. When we talk about optimism, we talk about hope in our culture. When we talk about hope for our circumstances, what we are generally talking about is not hope, but we are talking about this idea of optimism. I'm hoping, I'm choosing that whatever my circumstances are today, I'm choosing to believe that things are going to work out the best way, right? They're going to work out the right way. They're going to work out the way that I hope they work out. That's optimism. That's not what the scripture describes as hope. I'm generally an optimistic person. I'm generally, my wife would probably say, one of the most optimistic people you will meet. I want to choose to see how everything is going to work out great, right? There are no difficulties for me. There are only opportunities. I am an optimistic person. I moved my family three years and four days ago to Los Angeles. And I have been optimistic that God wanted to plant a church in the heart of the entertainment industry in Los Angeles, California. And it's felt like from day one, um, God has wanted to do that. I was sharing with somebody this morning, people ask me all the time, people who I've not seen in a long time, how's the church going? And my response is always the same. The church is actually going great. We're ahead of where we expected its number of people. We're ahead of our giving. Things are, we're baptized. Things are going great. I'm optimistic that God is going to plant a sustainable, healthy, multiplying church in the city of Los Angeles. I'm optimistic that God is going to give us greater ground. We're in the legal process now of, uh, of transferring a building that was given to us, about $6 million worth, over into our name, debt-free. I'm optimistic that God is going to do something great in our city through Story City Church. Now listen to me. But what if he doesn't? I've moved my family across the country. Um, uh, We have just spent the last week and a half with family on the East Coast that we see one time a year. It's hard. It's difficult. I've moved my family across the country, but I've also left a really incredible job three years ago. You don't really know my story, but I had a great job before I moved to Los Angeles. What if it doesn't work out? (laughs) Well, I'm optimistic that it will, but listen to me. If Story City Church doesn't work out where it's a sustainable, healthy, multiplying church, I want to say to you this morning, I'm not going to cry in my bed tomorrow over it. You know why? Because I'm optimistic, but there's difference between optimism and hope because I'm only hopeful in the Lord. I didn't go out to Los Angeles just to plant a church. That wasn't just what I went out to get. I went out to get the Lord because my hope is ultimately in him. I'm confident. I'm confident that the best is yet to come. Why? 
Not because the church may grow and we may plant um, six campuses in the next five years in areas we've identified and raise up church planters and support missions all over the world. I'm confident not that those circumstances may work out. I'm confident because my hope is in the Lord. Regardless of what happens, my eyes are fixed on Jesus, not on my circumstances. And that is the description of biblical hope. You see, the challenge comes for us when we have displaced hope. The challenge comes for us when the object of our hope is on anything but God. And when, our, when, our, when the object of our hope is on anything but God, there's always the possibility that displaced hope will inevitably lead to disappointment. If you have displaced hope this morning, there's a possibility, a great possibility that you're going to be disappointed. Four weeks ago, uh, we've been in Los Angeles now three years. Four weeks ago, we had the third annual, we had scheduled the third annual gingerbread house competition with some of our friends in L.A. Uh, he's a police officer. His kids and my kids go to school together. Um, we, we've just become good friends. And for three years now, we have done the gingerbread house competition because everything in my house, Pastor, is a competition. There are winners and losers in life, all right? And so we have two families that come together, and we decorate gingerbread houses, and an unbiased person will judge who wins the competition. And so we have looked forward to it for three years in a row. So about four weeks ago, we had planned our Saturday. We had scheduled and rescheduled two, three, I don't know how many times, four times around this one event. So our entire Saturday was scheduled around the event. We had something to do as a family in the morning. I had to meet at the church for a meeting um, before lunch. After lunch, we had the gingerbread competition. After the gingerbread competition, we had a birthday party to go to. Our entire day was scheduled around the gingerbread competition at our house. About 30 minutes before the gingerbread competition, which my wife had um, fixed the houses already. They just needed to be decorated. We had cleaned the house. We had made food. 30 minutes before the competition, the family calls and says, hey, we're sorry, we're not going to be able to make it today. The kids have been bad, and so the consequence is they're not coming over. <laughs> <laughs> and so we told our kids, and when we told one of our kids, immediately um, they, they just lost it. And, and 15 minutes into this crying session, 15 minutes later was worse than it was at minute number one, and I'm like, you just got to get over this, buddy, right? Like, he's just lost it. 15 minutes worth of crying. He had hoped for a day with his friends and this gingerbread competition. He's as competitive as I am. He literally hates losing. He had hoped to be together with his friends. Now, listen to me. This idea that we describe as hope is this anticipation, this expectation about something about future events. The thing we describe as disappointment is the non-fulfillment of those expectations, it's one thing to be disappointed over gingerbread houses that don't come to fruition. It's a whole other thing to be disappointed as an adult, where you've put your hopes and your dreams, your ideas about parenting and marriage and life and finances and where you would live and what you would live in. It's a whole other thing as an adult to experience disappointment because you have had displaced hope. The scripture promises us that when we have displaced hope, it will inevitably lead to disappointment. But listen to me. Biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. 
Biblical hope has no grounding in whether today is better than tomorrow in your financial portfolio. Biblical hope has no grounding in whether or not um, the the job that you're interviewing for pans out um, like you had hoped it would. Biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, people in the Bible who were hopeful, they knew there was no evidence that things were going to get better. Yet they chose to hope anyway, like the prophet Isaiah. Living in a dark time in Israel's history, they're being oppressed by foreign leaders and empires, and he chose hope when he said, God, you can turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope. Listen, just like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt, Hosea was saying, God, you can choose to do it again. Can I say this to you, and this is really the point this morning. God's past faithfulness motivates hope for the future. God's past faithfulness motivates hope for the future. In other words, you look forward by looking backward. That's that's what the whole Advent season that we celebrate as churches all over America is about. We, We look forward to the next coming of Jesus by looking backward to the past faithfulness of Jesus to die in our place. That's what the looking forward to the coming of Jesus is all about. And we base that on nothing other than God's character. Psalm 39 says, and now, O Lord, what else can I hope for? You are my hope. In the New Testament, the the followers of Jesus cultivated this same idea and this similar habit of hope. And they believed that Jesus' death, his his resurrection, was just a foretaste. It it um, It was God's response to our slavery, to evil, and death. And so they believed that the empty tomb opened up a new door, what they described as hope. In the Old Testament, we use about 10 words to describe hope. In the New Testament, we use one word. That word is el peace. El peace is used by the apostle Peter when he said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope so that people can be reborn to a new and different kind of human. More than one occasion, Paul said that the good news about Jesus announces the hope of glory. In both cases, listen to me, listen to me. In both cases, hope is based on my finances. In both cases, hope is based on my new job. In both cases, hope is based on my circumstances. In both cases, when we use LPs, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, hope is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope is not just for humanity. Scripture says that the hope that we trust in is a hope that just for what Jesus did in the resurrection, he could also do. It's also a foretaste of what God had planned for the entire universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. Biblical hope is a confident expectation this morning, church, that the best is yet to come. Why? Why? Because there's coming a time when God will redeem everything that was lost. You've lost some things in your life. You've lost some relational situations. You've lost some financial situations. You've you've lost some things in your life. The promise of Scripture is that Jesus will redeem. He will restore everything that was lost. You say, Pastor Matt, that, that is a future kingdom. You're right. 
But, but the kingdom of God is not just a future reality, it's a present, it's a here and now reality as well. And so what do we do in the meantime before we get to the future reality? We hope, we pray, we trust, we wait, we labor, we strive to participate in the process of restoration now. And when we do so, when we hope for that, we catch glimpses, we catch glimpses of this, of this restoration, this future kingdom in our presence now, this already but not yet reality comes to fruition we see marriages restored. We see financial difficulties turn around. We see people who had no hope now have hope. We see lives transformed when we choose to believe that a future kingdom is coming, when God will restore everything that was lost, but we also participate in that now. And how do we catch those glimpses in our world today? By fixing our eyes on the only object of hope that promises to never disappoint. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained the introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. What are we hoping in our circumstances? No, in the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. I'm going through a difficult time, Pastor. Can I, can I exalt in that difficult time? Yes, you can. Why? Because we know that the difficult time brings perseverance. Chapter 5, verse 4. Verse 5 says, and and perseverance, proven character, and proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. That's what it's all about. The church may never go. I'm optimistic that it will, but the love of God has been poured out in my heart, and that's my hope. So for those who look from the outside realm into this Christian idea of hope, it's somewhat confusing. <laughs> Because from the outside, people who don't know Jesus yet are hoping that circumstances are going to change, and that's what they hope in. Yet when you look from the inside, you understand that Christian hope is bold, it's daring, it's audacious. Why? Because Christian hope is not based on probabilities and circumstances. It's based on the promises of God. Biblical hope is not just optimism for beating the odds, it's a choice to wait on God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. He did it then, he can do it today in your circumstance and your situation. So we look back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward and listen to me, church, and so we wait. That's what the biblical words of hope are all about. Have you seen this 23andMe test thing. Have you, seen, you know what I'm talking about? This, this DNA testing, has it made its way to Albany yet? Um, like you can test your, you know, it's uh, ancestry.com, that sort of thing. Like they take your DNA and they can tell you where you came from. Um, I was adopted as a kid and I don't know my family history. As a kid, I, I wanted to know what are my roots? Where did I come from? As I got older, I've realized I, I don't need to know those things because I know who I am and, and where I came from. And so this morning, I thought I would read a 23andMe test for you. <laughs> it's a bit of a strange way to end the message this morning. It's a 23andMe test. It's the genetic test of Jesus. And I thought it would be strange if I opened up the message today reading the genealogy because you would completely check out. But I hope what I've done today is exposit Matthew chapter 1 for you to help you understand why you can be hopeful today. Now listen to me. Before I read this, and I'm going to go through it, before I read this, I want you to understand this. Way back in the book of Genesis, when a man and a woman decided 
that when they were in paradise, paradise was not for them. The world went haywire. Um, Unity between God and man was destroyed. Unity between man and man was destroyed. Unity between creation and man was destroyed. It was all destroyed. And way back in Genesis chapter 3, when it was all destroyed, God said, I'm about to make a promise to you. And my promise is I'm going to restore this place back to the way it was originally intended to be. Now listen to me. The record we have in Scripture from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, 21 is the record of humanity's waiting for God to restore us back to paradise. Now, I want to read the genealogy, and I want you to keep that in mind. Matthew chapter 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, and I'm almost done. The Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And if you know the story there, you know that God continues to be faithful. He promised a man, a son, and that man was way past childbearing age, and yet the promise of God continued to be faithful. Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, Verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez, by the way, you'll see over and over, multiple times in this genealogy, people who are mentioned who um, were unfaithful to God. Look at me real quick. Would you just look at me in the eyes? In the midst of your unfaithfulness, God is still faithful. Ram, verse 4, was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Come on, Mom, really? Salmon? Verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Why do God mention this unfaithfulness in the genealogy of Jesus? Because in the midst of your unfaithfulness, God is still faithful. Verse 7, Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Now we're getting into the Old Testament kings. They went through this cycle where one king was good, one king was bad. The majority of them were not good kings. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, verse 9, was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, verse 10, was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon, and Amon was the father of Josiah, who was one of the greatest kings. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of somebody, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and that person became the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel became the father of Abihud. Abihud became the father of Elag. See, I told you, if I preached this, like you'd be, you'd like, I'm eating seafood today at Blackbeards, right? <clears throat> Verse 15. I ate there last night. Amazing. El- Elihud um, was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Methan. Methan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was especially appointed to restore the kingdom, the one all of humanity had been waiting for. Listen to me. God preserved the bloodline. God preserved the bloodline through which the restoration of the world would be possible. When you read this, when you read this genealogy, you see uh, the promise-making love of God at the very beginning. 
Then you see the promise breaking love of man, the kings who are bad kings. And then you see at the very end, verse 16, the promise making love of God, the promise breaking love of man, and then finally verse 16, the promise keeping love of Jesus. Why? He became the promise maker so that he could become the promise breaker on the cross. Why? So that he could become the promise keeper today. So you can have hope this new year that the best is yet to come. Why? It's not based on your circumstances, and I hope they change. It's not based on your finances, and I hope they improve. It's not based on your relational difficulty, and I hope they get better. But you can have hope in this new year when you wait for God, because God's past faithfulness is the seal for his promises of your future. Don't let your hope rest in your circumstances this new year. Let your hope rest in the crucified Jesus who made good on his promise to restore all of humanity. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to close out this morning. There's going to be pastors down front. I don't know how you walk into an auditorium like this this morning, but I'm confident there, there are people who are here at the start of a new year. And you are wondering if there is hope. And I want to say to you this morning, hope starts with a crucified man on a hill called Calvary. And if you've never trusted your life to him, I want to invite you to do that this morning. Nothing magical or mystical about it. I'm not going to stand you on a stage, make you say anything you don't want to say. But if it's your desire to be saved this morning, to have a life transformed by the promise-keeping love of Jesus, I want to invite you as we stand and sing here just to come down front and say to one of these pastors, I, want, I need my life transformed by Jesus. They will pray with you and begin the process of helping you walk through how that happens. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you this morning. God, thank you that you're a good God. You're a good Father. God, thank you that you love us. Lord, thank you that tomorrow, even though circumstantially may be worse than today, God, we can still have hope because it's not based on things. It's based on 